Hi, I'm Anirudh. I'm a co-founder at Kenco Health. एक मिनट रुक जाओ रेडी होने दो चलो ये कर लेते हैं customer conscious customer sensitive to a place which was utilities more closer to utilities where you do things at massive scale so there's no time to really think about individual people human being so it took a little bit of time to adjust so i was there with that company for about 3 years and then i joined another health insurance company which was also starting up this time i joined them way early 2 years before the company started but it was in bombay So it was an American insurance company called Signa, which was setting up a joint venture in India with TTK Industries, and and that's where I met Dheeraj, who was the co-founder at Kenco. Then I was there for about I think again another seven eight years. And what kind of roles were you doing there? So what I was doing there, my role also evolved as I as I stayed with the company for. So my job initially was to run their on their internet based distribution channels. So it was split into two parts. Part one was where we distributed with no intermediary, and then the second part was where we distributed online but through intermediaries, like a policy bazaar. Policy bazaar, yeah. Policy bazaar was our largest uh, uh, thing partner in that. And uh, then slowly, as time went on, a few more pieces were added to the role. So I started handling some part of the tech as well. Within this, also it. wasn't just about distribution so we started doing other aspects of an insurance companies working so we we started doing some underwriting some operations etc so all it became like a, a small spin off within the company itself 
this was like a digital transformation team responsible for digitizing the workflows. That too was there. So this, what it, what this was, was a separate unit which had its own processes and so on, so which were a little different from the rest of the company, but the rest of the company was all paper-based. Then from that, we started a digital transformation exercise, which I was also, was I, at some point in time, maybe I was hitting that. And then later on, I was part of the team. And it was to, to the primary, I think the primary objective of that exercise was to make the company mm, more digitally native in the existing channels of business. So there's something called tied agency, agents who sell insurance. So the company wasn't trans, wasn't really moving away from agency as a mode of dis- distribution, but within agency, making some processes more digitized. I think that that's what the order of the day was. Yeah. So that's the story. That's what I've, that's all that I've done. It was during this stint with Signa TTK that the insight for Kenko Health came to you, right? So t- tell me about that that aha moment that, you know, what what triggered you to become an entrepreneur? So the thing is that the, the answer is a little controversial in the sense that both Hiraj and I, we weren't really junior management. We were in our own spheres, reasonably influential. Now, we had an initial idea. I had a few thoughts around Kenko. In fact, Hiraj had left by then and I was still in the company. And I used to, so the, the gentleman who was running the company at that time, he's either American. And he and I, had worked on a basic concept, which which is similar to Kenko. And we had done a whole lot of background work for that. But unfortunately, it couldn't really go anywhere. It was, there was a an acquisition in the US that fell through. So Cigna was to be acquired by a much larger company and that, it, that didn't go through. So during that time, the whole matter had to be deliberated upon and then whatever uh, severance... Uh, Issues had to be resolved. During that time, everything was in limbo and all capexes were frozen. So as a result of which that went nowhere. But the idea stuck and Deeraj managed to keep discussing it. I think the catalyst for doing this was that at some point in time, we realized that in our career, we had A, reached a glass ceiling. B, this was not possible inside an already operating company. Two, three times we, at least I, made an attempt, but one failed to do it. Mm. Uh, what what was like just describe the concept a little to me like what was it that you pitched to internally you pitched for so what we said is that for every rupee that gets spent inside a hospital about four to five rupees gets spent outside the hospital in any country that you go to around the world your health financier whether it's an insurer or something else is expected to finance all your health expenses and not discriminate that we only some you may fund up to a certain amount. Second thing is that wherever there's an expense, you know, in our business, it's an opportunity. It's a commercial opportunity because you could finance that expense, right? So if you were a lender, you would see it that way. So if there is $300 billion being spent in OPD by individuals, there's a clear commercial business opportunity. It's just that the mechanics and the optics of it were a little different from what we used to do. You can't just apply the same principles in hospitalization expense to OPD expense. They're much smaller. They're not 
episodic in nature. They're, they're far more fragmented and spread out over a lifetime. High, high frequency. Hmm. Yeah, it's high frequency. It's a little bit more deterministic, not completely random and stochastic. Wait, wait, wait. You need to explain these terms to me. You said it's a little bit more deterministic. And... Okay. So what it means is that, let's say, for example, you have mild diabetes, right? It's, it doesn't require you to take insulin, but you need oral medication. Now, for the rest of the foreseeable future, you will need oral medication. So to that extent, your OPD expenses are a little bit more deterministic. Whereas with the hospitalization, it is a lot more random. Mm, got it. So basically, like, these are predictable expenses. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> got it. Okay. So uh, now handling those mechanics meant that you need to you need to learn a few new skill sets. That's all. I mean, anything new that you want to do. Mm. will require some effort. Neither was the idea appealing to anyone, nor was the nor was anyone convinced that there's a commercial opportunity there. So the general thinking in insurance circles was that this is loss making or that there is no value in it. And we refuse to believe that. Because in the US, any other part of the world, financing Drugs and pharmaceuticals is much bigger than financing, financing hospital expenses. Hospital expenses themselves are so so much lesser. Right. Yeah. And then there are other hidden benefits. If you if you can manage to make someone go to a doctor regularly, stay on their medication regularly, then they're less likely to end up in a hospital. No, it's just common sense. But somehow the whole abstractness of the commercial opportunity was just failed to register. So at some point in time, we realized that, you know, it's not going anywhere. Okay, let me just quickly recap what I understand as the challenge here. So there is a one is to four ratio of hospitalization versus expense on OPD and medicines. And because that is such a larger expenditure, so therefore financing, it will become a bigger business. And insurance is nothing but financing. Essentially, insurance is when you finance one person's expense by building building a pool and that pool, everyone is contributing some money. So to tap this market, the challenge would be one is pricing it. How do you price it for every kind of cohort? Second would probably be your risk assessment and fraud prevention and some of those things. Third would probably be distribution. Like how would you build the distribution for it? And so so were those like the challenges that you foresaw? No. Okay. So for us, to be honest with you, the biggest challenge was getting someone else to believe that there was some commercial opportunity in this, namely investors. That was the biggest challenge. See, what we had to do, a large part of it, we were already doing. And we had been doing it for the better part of a decade. So you were confident that pricing and risk is easy to solve for like, because there was no uh, ready uh, risk models for this kind of financing, right? Like Yes. If we were doing it for the first time, then we would have had a problem. But we weren't doing it for the first time. This is what our bread and butter was for a, for a long time. So it was, uh, that wasn't so much of a problem. It involved a little bit of work, but the real challenge where we had no control was convincing other people. Because this is not something that you can bootstrap. You can, which we did ultimately be bootstrapped. So it can be done. Tell me, how did you bootstrap it? Like, what would have been the funding route had you got funding and versus how you actually bootstrapped it? So, I mean, there's no very chattering answer to this, but I'll just give you an example. Let's say you're, you, you've fallen sick and you don't have the money to buy medicines. You go to a friend and they give you some money and that friend writes off that amount, hoping that someday you'll return the favor. 
Now, if 10 people do the same thing, then assume average cost of medicines is 500 rupees. The total coppers required to run this commercially is 5,000 rupees. 100 people, 50,000. 1,000 people, 5 lakhs, etc. So it's a function of how many people you you can cover want to serve as customers. And there's a there's very relatively simple maths to it. All you need to do is that make sure that there's a, there's a corpus large enough to take care of everyone's expenses. So the thing is that this is deeply set in statistics. So let's say, for example, a bank, you go to a bank and you give them some money. That bank takes that money and invests it somewhere else. So if you go back to the bank tomorrow, they actually don't have your money. They have someone else's money, which they will give you. If everyone had to land up at the bank at the same time, then there would be a run on the bank. Right? No one would get any money. It's the same concept out here. No one does that. So no one, I mean, everyone doesn't fall ill at the same time. Statistically, it doesn't happen. So as a result of which, there's a certain corpus that you would need to have at any point in time, which will fund the, the claims expenses. And that's the that's the principle of the op, one of the fundamental principles of operating an insurance company. Now, so we were doing things a little differently. We weren't exactly, I mean, funding claims and stuff like that. But the amount of money that we needed to run a small operation to prove certain numbers wasn't that big. And it's a myth that you need to have red crores to start a company like this. No, not really. Okay. So tell me that journey, like from, from the day you decided that you're going to quit Signa. First, I went on a vacation. And then once I came back, then Deeraj and I, for at least two or three months, would just discuss various options and so on and so forth. And then we started meeting people, pitching our idea to them. Then... <clears throat> The next stage was putting some some sort of a business plan together. Then after that, uh, we started building out the basic tech framework and started talking to people like 1MG and so on for the supply chain on the OPD side. And then at some point in time, I think discussions started with potential investors. By that time, we started operating the company. First, a few con customers came on board, then some more customers came on board. Then some more. It took us about four or five how did you, this was not an insurance company that you were operating. What, what, I mean, wouldn't that need regulatory licenses and all? So what was it that you launched? So it's a subscription based offering. You pay some money every month and some part of your expenses gets financed. Now, financing of healthcare expenses, not insurance. I mean, it's not just insurance. Insurance is one way of, so that's what we did. It, it, it may look a lot like insurance. But technically, it is not. We don't indemnify and so on and so forth. So, what, what, sorry, what, what is the implication when you say we don't indemnify? What does that mean? When you, one of the, so there are about seven or eight principles or tenets of insurance. One of them is the principle of indemnification. Indemnification is essentially, I mean, the English Literal translation is that, you know, if you have some kind of a loss at some point in time, whatever, then I will cover that loss. Now, in insurance terms, in health insurance terms, it means that if you have a financial loss in future arising out of a, an established health-related cause, then within certain boundaries, your insurance company will make good that loss. And this financial loss can be like loss of income due to the fact that you got some disease and you were not able to work. So, so, so those, are the, those are the boundary conditions that are then set in the indemnification contract. So 
what you just mentioned is making good the loss of income, which is so there are within health insurance, you can either indemnify or you can give out a lump sum payment for making for for in lieu of loss of income. That's called a fixed benefit. So indemnification and fixed benefit are two different things. Indemnification, the the size of the loss is unknown. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. Okay. In fixed benefit, the amount of payout is known. So, so you were offering a fixed benefit product, something like that. Yeah. Okay. What was the 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 pitch to the customer who was buying it? Like, pay X amount per month and pay X, and you'll get this benefit. You'll get one, two, three benefits. And how, what would be the financial calculation in the mind of a customer? Like, he must be doing some back of the envelope calculation that I am paying this much every month. So, so like any person, you would say that okay, if I pay hundred, I should get at least thousand rupees worth magically. <laughs> Only then will it make sense, right? Yeah, yeah. So we had to. One of our jobs is packaging this proposition. Now you can't. This is not magic. You pay hundred rupees and you pay thousand rupees. Well, that's not going to happen. But it needs to. You need to feel that that's what's going to happen. Second thing is that you pay me hundred rupees and your neighbor pays me hundred rupees. If your neighbor falls ill, then your hundred rupees is going to pay for your neighbor. Now, when I say it like that, you might not be okay with it because you don't even know your neighbor. I mean, you're not going to pay for that illness. Otherwise, why you're not running a charity? But it needs to be packaged in some way so that you're okay with it. So. Ideally, what should happen is that the proposition shouldn't be this. The proposition should be that any any day someone needs to go to a doctor, then there's there's a pool. From that pool, I'll take out five rupees and give it to that person who needs it at that point in time. So it could be you, it could be your neighbor, it could be your neighbor's neighbor, etc. So that packaging of the proposition is extremely important. So like... Say somebody is paying two ninety nine a month. What benefits do they get in that? Like, what was sold to them as the benefits of subscribing? They get a twenty percent OPD coverage, which means whatever your expenses, twenty percent of that will be paid by us. Will be covered by us, and they get a three day hospital expense cover every month or in a year, like for in in a year. Yeah, so. It's just for you. It's not for your family. Two ninety nine is just for you. It's not for your family. And in a in a twelve month, it's like you get those vouchers, those hotel stay vouchers, where you get three nights free. They come with some boundary condition that you can't go to the hotel during this time to that time, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. This is something similar. So think of it like a voucher program. If you want to go and chill out in a hospital and use it like a staycation, no problem. But you get these three vouchers, and they come with certain boundary conditions. Okay, okay, okay. So three day hospitalization and twenty percent off on OPD. This doesn't cover the medicine costs in this plan. Like that would be a higher plan. OPD is medicine costs. Okay, okay, okay. OPD includes both consultation and medicine. Consultation, medicine, diagnostics. In some cases, it includes dental, mental health, etc. And how is the how do you prevent fraud in this? Like, is it self declaration that the person declares it, or do you give them a card and they use that card for ex- expenses? Or like, how does it happen? Like, tell me the logistics of how you implemented this service. So we can't tell you exactly. I mean, the. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> told you are fraud controls. Then, so essentially, you know, there are two pieces to it. Part one is selection. Mm-hmm. Figure out who you want to accept into the program. Part two is once selected into the program, you must, for the greater good of the members of the program, mm-hmm. prevent any kind of misuse. Mm-hmm. 
So that misuse prevention has multiple angles to it. If someone is submitting a prescription, mm. we must have ways of making sure that it's not a fake prescription. Mm. Similarly, if someone wants to go to a doctor, mm. we must make sure that the doctor exists. Mm. Mm. So one of the things that we use is that you can't randomly go to someone, get a bill and say, okay, now pay this bill. What you have to do is that you come to us and say that, okay, I want to visit a doctor. No problem. Mm. We'll arrange that doctor visit. We'll make sure that the doctor is a bona fide Mm. proper doctor there's a certain quality of service that you'll be given mm. and we will also make sure that you don't have to I mean if your plan covers 20% cost mm. you only have to pay the balance 80 ah okay if your plan covers 90 you only pay the balance 10 so you don't have to send us a bill and wait for 100 days for reimbursement none of that stuff and the same thing could happen with diagnostics also like the correct yeah Patient just needs to pay 80%, you will pay 20% directly to that land. All we say is that whenever you have any kind of a health-related requirement, whether it's illness or non-preventive or just maintenance, whatever it may be, come to us first. There's an app, there's a call center. Let us know, we will arrange it. In doing so, we will also make sure that everything is kosher, everything is authentic. Okay. And what about medicines? Same thing. Come to us, we'll have the medicines either delivered to you or to your home. Or if you want to go pick it up from some pharmacy, no problem. We'll arrange that also. But come to us first. Get us a proper prescription. We have suppliers. We have people like PharmEasy and 1NG that will deliver to many, quite a few pin codes in the country. In some pin codes, we'll deliver the medicines within two, three, seven hours. In some, it'll take a day or so, a couple of days. Elegant, very elegant. Okay. So what what did you launch with? Like, like, let's go back to that launch journey. You you were telling me that story that you had started talking to investors. And in the meanwhile, you had also launched the subscription program. So I'd love to hear how your processes, your product evolved. What was version one and the, that, that whole journey? See, on day one, we were doing everything from taking customer orders to selling everything, building the website, everything. And then I think our first employee would have come on board in December of 2021. Okay. When when did you quit? 2019. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, it took us two years to get this thing on the ground. And and when did your first sale happen? Like like, like they say in Hindi, then Boni. September 2021. Yeah, so the Boni was in September 21. Okay. Yeah. And so after that, it yeah, for the first Two, three months though, we were doing everything. Then our first employee came on board in December. Uh, sorry, it took you time till September because you needed labs, tie-ups. You, you wanted to launch straight away with this kind of a system, right? Because there is no other way to yeah. do this. Uh, yeah. So correct. you needed those lab tie-ups, you needed the doctor tie-ups, you needed the hospital tie-ups. Correct. That and some background legal and other work also. Well, yeah. Did you also have an insurance company tie-up or like a... Not on day one. We were talking to everyone. Then I think by second month, first, second month, we, we had that insurance company tie-up. And what was that for? Like what, what benefit did that give then? So the hospital expense part actually is insurance. It's just, it is done in a very... To the consumer, it's just plain and simple one subscription program. It gives you coverage for both these types. In the background, there's a slightly complicated arrangement with the insurance company for a defined set of benefits should someone end up in the hospital. Mm, because that is something they are comfortable doing. So you decided to transfer that to their books in a way of speaking. 
Yeah. So it took us a little bit of time because we were asking for a certain set of defined benefits, which was never done in insurance. And the way the claims would be paid and so on and so forth, it was never done in insurance. Help me understand this. Give me, if you can just give me some more details here. What are those defined benefits which were not done? Then? So let's say, for example, when you take insurance, there are two ways in which you can, you can get your expenses covered or your claim done. One is cashless and the other one is reimbursement. Now, cashless means you don't have to pay and reimbursement is where you pay and get the money later. Now, we had a problem with both. The problem that we saw with cashless was that it wasn't cashless. It was supposed to be, it's called cashless, but it wasn't cashless. So you went to the hospital and they asked you for a deposit. And there in itself, it becomes a problem, right? The insurance company is not going to pay the deposit. So who's going to pay? And if you're, if you're going after the target segment that we are going after, which is middle income households, strictly middle income households, then they'll have to take a loan or uh, sell an asset or you know liquidate an asset or something like that, which defeats the whole purpose of taking on an insurance coverage. Reimbursement is not possible because they don't have the capital in many kids. They need the financial assistance then and there. They could take a loan, but most of these guys are subprime. So who's going to give them a loan? And that to an instant loan because they'll need it with two, three days of notice. So we had to convince these guys to work out another way of paying claims where part of the money, the deposit is paid upfront and the money is not paid to the hospital, it's paid to the beneficiary. Now, insurance companies don't pay anything before treatment starts. That's sacrilegious. That's like too too radical. Yeah, yeah, you you need to submit the bills. (laughs) Correct. So that's why it took time to get this thing off the ground. And then the balance is settled again directly to the beneficiary at the the reason why it's paid to the beneficiary and not for the hospital mm-hmm. is because then you need to have a working arrangement with the hospital. You need to know someone, which means getting into a contract. And that part, the entire hospital part is ring-fenced by a set of intermediaries called third-party administrators who are licensed by the idea to do this sort of a job. And it was an expense that Deeraj and I weren't comfortable with taking. So instead of, of going out there and tying up with hospitals, we said, forget it. We won't tie up with hospitals. We'll have a list of hospitals who have a good reputation. And the money will not go to the hospital. It will go to the beneficiary who can then pay the cash paying customer to the hospital. It's quite simple. It doesn't... To those people who, who, who are facing a problem because they are having to pay the deposit, it suits them just fine. right? For us, it's great because we don't have to go through the whole rigmarole of contracting and network and this and that. Thirdly, when you tie up with the TPA, they have 10,000 hospitals on the network. Not even 20% gets used. And then you can't verify 10,000 hospitals. Who knows whether the hospital exists, doesn't exist. Instead, if we have 500 hospitals, but all 500 are relevant to the people who are going to use them, makes a lot more sense. So that's what we did. So that's one of the things that we did and it took time to convince insurance companies. Uh, what would be the process for someone to get that money upfront? Because it is fairly intuitive that you get money once you submit a bill. Here you're getting money even before a bill is generated. So how would you validate that he needs to be given money? We've kept it hyper simple. So if you have to get a treatment done at a hospital, your doctor is going to tell you that so-and-so, so-and-so issue, you need to get this procedure done. right? Or in very, very like 3% of total hospital cases in the country, 
it's an emergency where you don't have time. You, you don't have prior information. But 95, 97% of cases, you have prior information. It's called planned uh, hospitalization. Mm, okay. Yeah. So if it is planned, then you come to us first. Tell us what you need to get done. Now, the doctor would have written some diagnosis. The diagnosis would have been based on some diagnostics. Give us all of that. We'll look at it. Before you get to the hospital, we would have done all our, all the adjudication or not adjudication, but basically all the investigation that we, that uh, someone is supposed to do. Right. So the insurance company is given all of these things beforehand. These guys already know. And so do we. That what you are going to the hospital for, is it genuine? Is it not genuine? Does the hospital exist? Etc. Everything that we need to know, we already know. So when you get to the hospital, there's nothing left to know. We know how much it's going to cost, how much deposit is required. So what is the point? And you only have to pay for a maximum of three days. So that variability is limited because beyond three days, you're not paying. Yeah, see, in almost, in most, so treatments, at a, at a hospital or even at a clinic, largely are deterministic or, again, largely are established in nature. So if you go to get a cataract surgery or procedure done, then the, when the removal of that cataract and placing of the intraocular lens is a three to four hour job, it has standard cost. The co lens cost also has a range which is fairly standardized. So most Procedures are like this. If you have the data about all such procedures going back 5, 6, 10 years, you would have a fairly decent idea of how much, what is going to cost and how, where. <clears throat> there is some variability that happens from place to place. So a small hospital, Lucknow, it will cost lesser than a rich candy in Bombay. The same thing. So one knows these things. If you like to hear stories of founders, then we have tons of great stories from entrepreneurs who have built billion-dollar businesses. Just search for the Founder Thesis Podcast on any audio streaming app like Spotify, Ghana, Apple Podcasts, and subscribe to the show. Someone going for, let's say, a knee replacement, most of their costs would also be covered under this plan. Okay. So yeah, let's go back to the journey. So you, December, you got your first employees. By then you, September, you started selling. By October or November, you also got in an insurance partner to cover the three-day hospital stay in the plan. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Then in December 2021, we got our first term sheet. Where did you launch? Which, was it one city or was it like a pan-India launch? Like Pan-India. Wow. Okay. That must have really taken a lot of hard work. No, we weren't constrained by going to each hospital and doing one network tie-up, right? All we under, have, we had an understanding with the insurance company that we will choose the hospitals where people can get treated at. And we were just looking at people's reputation. So it was a small list that we started with, about 100, 200. Diagnostic labs, the doctors, because you... The labs and all, what we do, it was that we, if, you, if you go to an aggregator like 1MG, then they're already serving multiple locations. Okay, okay. So 1MG has like labs or like they have a, a, a platform where they aggregate labs, is it? Like they have a hub and spoke model. So what they do is they'll come to your home, they'll take the collection, they'll take the sample, then that sample will then go to a hub somewhere. From that hub, it will go to the lab. 
where it'll get tested. It may be a 1MG lab, it may be a third-party lab. But the logistics of this is provided by a company called, I'm just forgetting, just alluded me, which 1MG bought. It's just a, basically it is, it is logistics. Now, that's for a test. Similarly, doctors will be there on 1MG network. And if it's an online consultation, then you don't care whether the doctor's in Jaipur or where. Got it, got it. So because of these health tech startups having like laid the groundwork, it was easier for you to plug in and do a nationwide rollout. Absolutely. We were simply, when we continue to just ride the wave of digitization that these guys have done. So they are the ones actually organizing the OPD market. Mm. They're simply coming in with a financing solution. And as that market gets more and more organized, mm. we just simply are there. So yeah, you, you were talking about the, the funding journey. like Yeah, so the someone offered us a term sheet in December. And then I think by it took us another three, four months to close the whole round and do all the paperwork. And we were doing it for the first time, so we knew nothing. And then May, June, July, we started hiring a core team of people, many of whom are still... Who was your first investor? Like a Singapore-based fund called B Next. Okay, okay. And how how did you like initially? You were hearing a lot of no's. So how how did the yes happen? No different from the no. Okay, <laughs> okay. It, it was just a like you keep trying until you yeah one conversation. Then the partner came in for another conversation. Done. Mm-hmm. Okay. Possibly the fact that you had launched would have given you some data to talk about that might have. Yeah, without numbers on the board. Mm-hmm. And what kind of sales had you done like by, by December when your first employee came in? I think we would have had about four or 500 customers. Pretty good. So, so you were doing like 100, 200 every month during those early months? You could say, yeah. Mm. Okay, and, and how, how did that trajectory grow? Like by middle of next year, what kind of like... So we had 500 customers in December. I think August, we would have had 10,000 by... December of last year, we had, I think, 25, 30,000. And now we have about 60 or 70,000. What is your monthly uh, addition rate now? How, how many subscriptions do you sell every month? Roughly around 10,000. Okay. Tell me about your go-to market. How did you kickstart this? You, you, I mean, I'm assuming that establishing trust, credibility would have been a key factor to like a key challenge because you didn't have a brand and like health is something where people may not easily trust somebody that they have not heard of. I can't say it was a key challenge because every time we started something, Max, Bopa, Signa, it was the same thing. Doesn't matter whether you're... So we had already seen that happening. And then you're that it's a matter of time. You just keep knocking on as many doors as possible. And GTM, so yeah. Yeah, that's what I was asking. Like, what was your GTM? Like, was it through agency or? No, initially it was selling directly. Agency, no. Agency never. And then slowly as we got into the corporate side of things, then we started approaching licensed insurance brokers. See, insurance brokers talk to human resource personnel. Now, they are well-placed to, so for example, Aon has a division called employee benefits. Now, employee benefits, one of the employee benefits is insurance. There are many other types of employee benefits. So this is an employee benefit, a healthcare coverage. So we started pitching that to insurance brokers, one bit, one small, one person outfit. We got a 
couple of customers from there. Then slowly, slowly, some investor references happened. And then one thing led to the other. Your direct sales channel, is that like telesales or is it like online or like how does that happen? So it's we acquire prospects online and we close them over the phone. Yeah. So we have two centers. One operates out of Bangalore, one operates out of so, so you would like have Google AdWords uh, campaigns around like health insurance. People searching for health insurance would see this option of Kenko and correct. Yeah, let, let's continue down that journey. Sorry, yeah, I keep asking you so many details. <laughs> no problem. So, so yeah, uh, I, I think that's it. So here we are. We then we hired a core team in July, August, and then we grew a little bit more. And then in December, we got our second term sheet. Then that took a little bit of time to close out because of COVID and et cetera, et cetera. We closed that out in March. This was with Sequoia. Uh, we closed that out in, in Feb or March. And uh, in the meantime, while that was going on, we were engaged in expanding the core team, hiring more people. And this time we had the ability and the capital to go out there and hire some of the best talent. Hmm. What, what all areas did you need? Talented product management, program management, analytics, sales. Analytics is for the, the risk, like analytics for everything. Sales analytics, pricing analytics, disease wise, clustering, all sorts of things we do. Yeah. Okay. And uh, when you say product management, like, are you talking of like a digital product, like a, the way, say, a Zomato as a product manager who works on that app? So, from that sense, or? Yeah. So, we have three or four products, each one serving a different purpose. You've got product team handling different aspects of that. So you've got one set of product managers looking at all the enterprise products. So these are things that don't, that are not necessarily customer facing, but they increase the efficiency of a company. And then there are pro- people who work on consumer facing products. So there we have products for end consumers, we have products for prospects. We have something for administrators, HR administrators of our corporate accounts. And so on. Yeah. Okay. So basically the consumer product would be where they can book, like they can say that I, I want to do a doctor visit. and Yes. Okay. Correct. That's where basically they can use what they have bought. The HR product would be like, say, onboarding new joinees uh, or... Yes. Managing exits and... Correct. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, so you, you said there are four, four product lines. And then there are enterprise products. Which is for your in-house usage. Yeah, correct. So some are sales related, some are business development related and so on. Subscription management, etc. Okay. Okay. And what does the program management team do? So these guys, they hold the whole thing together. So they could be individual projects, but they are typically multifunctional. So these guys hold all functions together as part of our program. So let's say we are introducing something right now where an OPD order, like a medicine order, will get totally automated from end to end. And up to a certain order amount, it no human being will touch it. Now that has people from engineering, it has people from product, it has people from the process designs at the enterprise side, then it has designers, marketing folks, etc. Someone needs to hold it all together. That's a program manager. 
Okay, okay, okay. So, like, right now, how it happens is when someone asks for a medicine, then someone, there is an approval, there's a human approval that happens, so that you're eliminating, and it will instantly get... Not just an approval, so there is a, there is a, some human being needs to do, perform certain tasks. So, for example, they need to take a prescription, read what medicine has written out there on that prescription, check a few things on the prescription, and then place the order with the supplier, check the order status, keep updating the customer. All of these things are all human beings. So if someone is placing an order through the Kenko app, uh, he's paying 80%. How does that happen? Like, is it cash on delivery orders where they... No, you'll get an invoice inside the app. So there's a payment gateway in the app to pay the 80%. Okay. So uh, essentially, then Kenko becomes a fairly high-frequency app for consumers because like any medical use case, they would open the app. Oh, we are hoping someday that happens. Like Jensen and Nicholson, whenever you think of health, hopefully you'll think of us. Okay. W- what is the roadmap for the app? So w- what is the roadmap for the product and what is the roadmap for the business overall? So the vision is exactly what you stated, right? So let's say we approach a company and the company has uh, 100 employees and they give them healthcare coverage. So when one of the employees gets that coverage. It's not just them, that employs kids and spouse and in some cases parents also. And potentially then, so when it's a, it's a household, right? So now you've got three or four primary family members covered. You've got two parents, maybe two sets of parents. And then you've got domestic help. In some cases you can have a pet. Now our idea is that this is a house. This is a family. This is a household. Every week, someone or the other in that household, twice a week, should take out the app and order something. Now, that's not going to happen if we are only focusing on illness or curing people, correct? Or only focusing on paying their bills. That's not going to happen. So that consonance will only come when we create contextuality and more opportunities and avenues to book our services. Now. Which means we need to look at extended, extend the definition of health and look at adjacencies. And here is where things get a little interesting. When you brush your teeth, you're maintaining oral hygiene. If you don't brush your teeth, you'll end up with cavities and we'll have to pay for a root canal treatment. So it's in our best interest that you stay, you keep brushing your teeth properly. If you buy a toothbrush, it's going to cost 100 rupees. You'll buy one toothbrush a month. For 20 years, that's 1,200 rupees into 20. Okay, so that's 24,000 rupees. One root canal is 32,000 rupees. It's just no, a complete no-brainer. So maybe we should be paying for the toothbrush. And maybe then you should be able to take out the app and order a toothbrush and get the, I mean, have it paid for also. Now why you don't expect that your insurance company is going to pay for your child's diapers, right? or your anti-dandruff shampoo. But why not? So that's where we are getting to. Now, the total size of the OPD market is $300 billion. right? And it is cause of medical inflation. It grows at about 8-9% a year. It's not going to be possible for us to cover that entire $300 billion. But we think that there is a cool $100 million opportunity. And Year on year, immediately within the next two, three years, there's a hundred million dollar opportunity, just 700 crores. So that would mean about a million people who should be covered or are, are subscribers. 
So that's our immediate aim and target. Mm, okay. But your pricing would have to increase, right? If you start offering even a toothbrush, because you're subsidizing 20% costs. So th- that would, I mean, if the, the more options you're giving them, the more your subsidy bill will rise. Well, may not be. So let's say, for example, you sell one toothbrush, Colgate Farmalive charges, the MRP on that toothbrush is 100 rupees. So you are a retailer. Your distributor will give you a 1% margin on the toothbrush. You make one rupee. Now, tomorrow, if you start selling 5 million toothbrushes, will you be satisfied with the 1% margin? No, not going to happen. So there is some angle around that also. That is the part that we borrowed from the American system. Okay. The the American system has like a, they, they earn a percentage of medicines that are like, w- what is the American system like? They contract prices based on volumes that they move. So insurance companies are also, in essence, they, they're paying, if you're paying for the medicines, then essentially you're the consumer of the medicine, right? The end consumer will be someone else. If you're going to buy medicines in bulk, it means you have purchasing power. Yes, 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 right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Okay, 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 interesting. Okay. So the more you move, the less you actually pay. But uh, right now you're doing it through like 1MG and other players. Would you then look to eventually have your own logistics set up for... Maybe, maybe, yeah, sure. I mean, logistics is a capital intensive business. It only makes sense once you're you're at a certain scale. So why not? Maybe. Although even logistics today is plug and play, right? It's something like a ship rocket. You don't really need to... I mean, it's a subscription service. It's not that plug and play for pharmacy... And diagnostics and all, not yet. So, yeah, it's not an open and shut answer. Mm, got it. Uh, and do you think your B2B revenue will be higher or your B2C revenue will be higher? As of now, B2B is higher, but we're hoping that by the end of the year, uh, it'll be 50 50. By the end of second or third year, it should be about 30% corporate, 70% non corporate. Okay. And you said that you, one of the key things for you is to select the right customer whom you're serving. How do you do that? So we try and find out what their state health status by asking them a bunch of questions. We also do some medical tests. We also look at their financial health. And then all of those responses go into an algorithm which computes a certain score, which looks very similar to a credit score. And then there's a threshold fix. Above that, you're eligible. Below that, you're not. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, and uh, uh, is it like a self-service journey for someone who's buying or, or it's like assisted? It is both assisted and self-service. It depends on what you want to do. Most people want to speak to a person because it's related to health. But if you want it, you could just go there, answer a bunch of questions, choose your product, pay and leave. With time, I guess it will become more self-service as, as the power of the brand grows. The, you get more word of mouth. We are hoping so. Yeah, we are hoping so. Yeah. How much of your inbound is through organic right now, like through word of mouth and so on? I wouldn't know. Well, difficult to say because you, when you're looking at digital analytics, let's say sales happening on a website, you will see you have something called the last click conversion. What that means is that just before you bought, where did you click before landing up on my website? Okay, like a Google versus a... Right. Now, almost... 70-80% of the cases, you'd see that no one clicked on an ad. They either typed out the 
website address or they clicked on an organic search result and came. But that is not true. That doesn't mean that you should stop advertising. So if you see a billboard while you're driving, it doesn't mean that immediately you're going to go out and buy. That billboard has a decay effect. So advertising like that, as now, so thanks to in e-commerce, what happens is that you're able to measure these things. With physical advertising, traditional, you can't measure these things. So now we are able to say, we, we can we create these things called attribution models that what which medium had what kind of a weightage in a certain transaction. We are able to see the entire click stream. The let's say it took twelve days from a, for a person from the time they started researching till the time they finally bought and where all they went, where all they clicked, how did they react to our ads and uh, organic results and so on and so forth. So overall, I would say organic has about a 20-25% vintage. Wow. And you built this attribution engine in-house. Google gives you all the tools. These tools are now openly available. If you like the Founder Thesis podcast, then do check out our other shows on subjects like marketing, technology, career advice, books, and drama. Visit thepodium.in, that is T-H-E-P-O-D-I-U-N dot I-N for a complete list of all our shows.